Well, hello, everyone. It's Dave McMahon here. Dave McMahon Unleashed on 4680Q.ca and 4680Q.com. Thank you for joining us. Wine is the topic. All about wine. We're going to have some good time talking about wine. All of us remember some occasion where we got uh, a massive headache from red wine. Could have been that you drank too much of it. Could have been a lot of technical reasons that I don't uh, completely understand all the terminology. We may dabble in that a little bit about why you can get a massive headache from red wine. I don't know. I was told, <clears throat> excuse me, I was told that's a completely different podcast altogether. Anyway, joining me, Kelsey Cop is with me. She's the hospitality manager of Rosewood Estates Winery. Good morning to you, Kelsey. Good morning, Dave. Thank you for having me. Come a little closer to your microphone. Oh, sorry. Yes, good morning. <clears throat> no problem. <laughs> yeah, you can cough, you can burp, you can be yourself on oh, the show. Oh, perfect. Yeah. I appreciate that. Welcome to the program. You and I became familiar with one another when you attended my dog obedience classes yes. some time ago. Yes, it was a lifetime ago. I brought uh, my staffy cross to you, Abigail. Uh, we did just your basic level training, but yeah, small world. Yeah, that's okay. But when you say just the basic level training, always remember this, Kelsey, and all of you dog owners out there, the basic training is the most important part of a dog's training because that is the foundation. Without a solid foundation, you can never move on to intermediate or more advanced obedience. Very true. Anyway, so glad that you could be here. Thank you. Um, we're going to talk wine today. Wine mm -hmm. and dogs go together so great. Very much so. You yes. know, and it is a dog-friendly winery, I do believe. We are, yes. Yeah. So we usually have a dog or two around at the farm, um, and we always welcome our guests to bring dogs as well. So there's there's always a treat hidden somewhere. Yeah. Um, we're always very happy to uh, have four-legged friends come and join us. Good to know, Kelsey. Yeah. Well, why don't you give our listeners a little bit of background about yourself, Kelsey? I know you have a background in beer. Yes. Do elaborate. <laughs> uh, yes, yeah. So I used to... Uh, work in beer. Um, I've worked in service for about seven or eight years now, service industry, I should say. Um, but yeah, I grew up in the beer industry learning about fermentation and how everything works. Uh, and I just fell in love with the whole process. Uh, fast forward to three years ago, I joined Rosewood and it's been a wild ride through the pandemic and just through learning about wine. Um, but uh, it's been great. It's been a lot of fun. Yeah. Yeah. So you went to college for this as well. I initially started learning everything just on the fly. And then I did take Niagara College's wine business management program a couple of years ago. Yeah. Uh, but that's my only formal education within the industry. Outside of that, I, I love reading. I'm a weirdo. I, I read a lot of textbooks just for Who fun. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so it's no, it's it's a it's a passion. I love it. So yeah, between formal education and uh, and just you know just learning and reading, that's that's kind of how I've got to where now, I'm at. Now, are you a beer aficionado and a wine kind of a wine snob as well? Are you a bit of both? I would say I'm not a snob per se. I mean, it depends on who you ask, but <laughs> um, I I do love a good beer and I do love a good wine and I you know I've got I've got my opinions and tastes on things for yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah as we all do. <laughs> <laughs> uh, give us a little bit of history about the winery Rosewood Winery in Beamsville. Yeah. 
definitely. So Rosewood, it's honestly, it's quite a magical love story when you come down to it. Um, the family that owns it, the Romans, they are a Ukrainian family that immigrated here back uh, post-World War II, and they brought with them their beekeeping practices. So in doing that, that really kind of created this community, uh, beekeeping community, and eventually they were looking to rehome their hives. Um, back in 2000, Eugene and Renata, the owners, purchased uh, some property in uh, Beamsville, yep. and that was to house their growing beehives, and uh, eventually they, they started planting vines just within a few years, and that was always the intention as well, was to to have a winery and a meadery as well. We do make mead. Um, a lot of people don't know mm -hmm. what meadery is. I know yes. you're going to tell us. <laughs> Certainly, yes. Uh, so mead, spelt with a D, uh, is a fermented honey beverage. So as a certified apiary, so we are allowed to house our bees, yep. uh, we also create mead, a fermented honey beverage or a honey wine, uh, from the honey that our bees make um so it's a really cool and different kind of avenue to take um but the the ethos of that is really we're just trying to create or showcase what mother nature creates uh and mead in its most simplest form is just honey and water fermented together uh there's not a whole lot to it although it can get you know it's a little bit of a lengthy process and a complicated process sometimes but yeah, uh i want to yeah. i want to revisit the uh, the hot honey which is a relatively mm -hmm. new product very new for <clears> us <throat> excuse me hot honey a relatively new product that the uh, the winery has and some other preserves that you you carry at the winery as well yeah but, uh, i want to go back to uh back to the to the owners mm -hmm. right? and and so this is a family business that's been yes. up and going for you know long time yeah so and they are dog lovers they are they are most certainly uh, dog lovers um yes yeah, so they purchased the property in 2000 the winery opened in 2006 um a fun little thing much different than beer beer you can turn around a product in a couple years uh wine is a much more lengthy process so they started planting once they had bought the property but it takes about three to five years to actually get um a crop. A, a crop, yes, a, a crop, crop that you can yield the uh, from the vines. So, okay. yeah, so 2006 is our very first vintage, and from there they opened up and everything started. I mean, we've evolved quite a, uh, quite a bit since then and grown and changed over the years, as any business does. Um, but, yeah, the, the owners, Eugene and Renata, are very much so involved. Uh, their son, William, is our general manager, and he's an amazing uh, mentor and manager and, and business yeah. uh, So they're hands-on. Yes. Oh, very hands-on. Yeah. For you, treat you right. Oh my gosh. Yes. Yeah. You couldn't ask for any anyone better. Do they throw nice Christmas parties? Of course. <laughs> <laughs> it's for never a dull moment at a winery. How many employees do you have, Ballpark? Um, in the off season, so right now we look at around like fifteen or so, um, and then we double that, if not a little bit more, in the peak season during the summer months. Yeah. So is it? Classified as a smaller winery, would you say? Yeah, so we produce around 10,000 liters of wine, which classifies us as a small boutique winery. Um, once you surpass 10,000, then you move into medium. And then when you get to the bigger commercial levels uh, that some of the other larger wineries are at, that's when you kind of, you're hitting like 50,000 and up. Uh, yeah. but liters. And, and that's the terminology. The boutique winery mm -hmm. implies the smaller winery. Correct, yes. Oh, very nice. Yeah, very so nice. more handcrafted, um, yeah, and just small batches, so it's, it's a little bit more, uh, I don't want to say custom, what's the word I want? Exclusive? Yeah. 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 Amazingly exclusive. 
Yeah. But still inviting and welcoming. Exclusive, but welcoming. Yeah. Do the owners ever bring their dog with them to the winery? They do. So they have um, a little, oh my gosh, what is Tia? She's like a little Shih Tzu cross. Right. So they have her, and then William has a Bernadoodle. Um, a coworker of mine has a Mastiff King Corso cross, and nice. then another one has a Husky Lab Shepherd cross. So there's always at least one dog, if not more. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, the owner took their dog to Eric Straitman's Beyond the Leash Canine Training in Mississauga, and Eric is a graduate of the Dave McMahon Dog Training Academy School mm-hmm. for Dog Trainers, and it's just funny how we're all so interconnected in so many ways. Definitely. So I was pleased to discover that, and Eric had reached out and said that uh, the owners of the winery were uh, clients of his, so uh, so that's awesome, yeah. Uh, in fact, Eric uh, has been on my... Uh, uh, dog talk radio show another show that i do on an am station numerous times and i plan to have him on my podcast here as well eventually but uh, all of us seem to be dog lovers and and mm-hmm. we, we enjoy good wine at the same time yeah and i might might i add charlie is and she's a phenomenal dog extremely to, to yes yeah she's the bernadoodle and william and, and eric and julia they've all done a phenomenal job with training her yeah, yeah. very nice yeah Oh, that's awesome. And so what is the acreage? What, what, what is the size of the property there? Yeah, so the main property is uh, 24 acres, and then we have a secondary property that's another 22 acres. Okay. Um, that one's just for warehousing and more vineyards, but the estate itself, where all the magic happens, um, is about 24 acres. Yeah. Any plans for expansion at this point in time? In of land? Um, not of land, but uh, we do have plans to expand our honey program as well as um, our, our food program. So we've dabbled a little bit with food pop-ups. Uh, we actually have Fat Rabbit coming in uh, this month, Fat Rabbit Cookery. Um, he's a local chef. Um, I love it. I love yeah. it. What a great guy. I should get him on this Yeah, podcast. he's really great. So he's going to be doing some fun stuff over the next few weekends. Um, but yeah, moving into more permanent uh, expansions, we are looking to build our own food program with our estate chef, uh, Wesley. So really looking forward oh, to that. Yeah. And have cooking classes. We could eat, yeah, you we could sure? totally because do. I used to go to all the cooking classes at the Good Earth. Uh, oh, they were the so good. good. Yeah. Nicolette, when Nicolette owned mm-hmm. it, right? the Good Earth uh, cooking yeah. school. Yeah, I did actually attend one of those back in the day, and they were so fun. It was yeah. so much fun. Yeah. yeah. And salute to Chef Tara, who uh, taught a couple of our seminars at the, uh, the Good Earth cooking school back then. Very that would fun. be cool if you guys got a, a cooking school, like a recreational cooking school, and you did workshops for people just that would be awesome if you did we need more of that where we yeah. enjoy the wine and enjoy the food and the chef is interacting with us and teaching us how to prepare different ethnic foods and whatever definitely yeah i mean hands-on experiences are are key especially in an industry so um intricate as wine and food as hospitality i should say because there's so much to learn and when you can't really understand it until you're in it i i, I feel just because it's that hands-on that really allows you to connect yeah for sure yeah so um of course uh i, I want you to talk about some of the individual wines that you have yeah where, definitely where would you like to start um <laughs> I yeah i love all <laughs> wine but i do prefer a dry dry white wine uh but when it comes to red uh i like a, something dark like the bordeaux or um like a Shiraz or something in that field. But, oh, perfect. You know, yeah. Start wherever you want. Just, I'd love to hear about the wines that you guys are carrying. Yeah, definitely. So that kind of just fits really, really well with what we do. Okay. Uh, we're a low intervention winery. So 
what that means is we wild ferment our products. We don't inoculate. We don't add yeast in to start it. Um, so everything happens more spontaneously, and we just nurture it as it goes through the process. More organically. Organically, yes, is a sensitive word, but we could definitely, it's, you know, they get a little finicky with that one, but, um, (laughs) well, we just, yeah, we're not certified organic, but we do follow a lot of those practices. Being low intervention allows us to intervene if we need to, but, uh, without having to be organic, but we do follow those types of, uh, ethos. Um, but in that style of winemaking, our products tend to be on the drier side. Um, so our whites with the only two exceptions are bone dry. Um, one of my favorites that we do is called Neptune and it is a bone dry Riesling. So much different than what you typically find in this area um, and even abroad. But what we do with this one is that we actually age it for 18 months, half of it in clay amphoras, so in like terracotta pots, and the other half in neutral French oak. Um, and it's crazy. Yeah, crazy. so it's super cool. The clay pots keep it really tight and it, do- it doesn't allow any oxygen to hit it. Whereas in the neutral French oak, the oxygen seeps through the wood, which is porous, and then it allows to kind of soften out and develop so these two different batches we blend together um, and what this allows is texture and layers and dynamic to the wine um, without having that sugar content to take away from some of those things and I mean I do love a little bit of a sugar uh, in there just because balance is key but this uh, even like the clay pot just provides like a salinity to it uh, which makes it so good with seafood like if you've if you have this riesling in particular with oysters or a lobster it's alaskan king crab yes (laughs) oh speaking to me now um it's unreal it's so so good so it's a really fun wine and it's different it makes you think about it because i think a lot of people can have a riesling and it's just it's another riesling and we want you to think about it and actually really truly enjoy it so a riesling isn't always just a riesling right i mean there's some diversity there 100 percent. when i think of riesling i always and again i'm i'm a novice uh the wine and I do enjoy wine, but I always think of Riesling as being a little bit on the sweeter end. Mm-hmm. This one is under two grams of sugar. Oh, that's it's perfect. So bone it's, dry. it's more suitable for diabetics or people that want to be more sugar conscious. Most certainly. Yes, definitely. <laughs> I got to watch my sugar, so <laughs> for sure. Yeah. 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 I want to taste uh, all these flavors exactly yeah and it's really cool it was the first time we did this was a few years ago we really found that salinity coming out and it it just brought about a whole new life to the wine that we weren't expecting and and had never really had before and so you do see this type of practice more in old world in georgia and croatia uh they do a lot of uh aging wine in clay pots underground so this is kind of like an ode to that and and to to playing with that that yeah it's a lot of fun old school techniques yeah i mean when you think about it uh world or back in the day the wine world didn't have the ability to add sugars or sulfites or all these different items um commercialization of wine wasn't really a thing a couple hundred years ago so we are really doing the traditional old world method when we make our wine uh, but with just a few more modern techniques and as a smaller boutique winery you're mm-hmm. able to do that right most I certainly mean, if the the larger uh wineries you know they may not be in the position to put uh, mm-hmm. i don't want to say you know as much care into it? I mean, is that a fair way to put it? Um, I would just say when you grow to a certain extent, you've got to be able to support yourself in that way. So you have different avenues. Exactly. So if you have the expectation that you're going to be exporting your wine or you're going to be selling to the LCBO regularly, you've got to be able to keep up with that to keep your customers and your clients happy. Um, So when you set yourself up on that tier, you know, you've got to 
you've got to run the business and make the wine in such a way. Um, whereas if you set yourself up in a smaller scale, of course, we still have bills to pay and things to do. Yeah. But um, it does allow us to be a little bit more selective with, with how we do things. Yeah. Do you have to spend a good buck to get a good tasting wine? Well, that all depends. Um, you know what? Yes. I do think that you've got to spend a good buck, but a good buck doesn't mean a whole lot of money. I think you can get a great bottle of Ontario wine for 15 to $20. Yeah. Um, I was going to say 25, 30 bucks. Even. Yeah. 25, 30 is a great, I mean, you're going to get some higher quality products in that range. Um, but for someone, if you're just entering into wine and you want to dive in, you can most certainly find options that are 15 to 20. 25 is a nice sweet spot. I think 25, if you're, if you're prepared and happy to spend that, you're going to, your options are endless at that point. Um, but yeah, I think Ontario is a tricky one. Uh, you can definitely find wines internationally, um, like French and Spanish and Italian wines uh, that are going to be on the, the cheaper side of the spectrum. Uh, we unfortunately have a very crazy tax system here, so we do have a higher price point uh, for our wines, unfortunately. So if, if you're looking to support local, which we really truly hope you are, um, you do have to yes. spend a little bit more, but it's worth it, I promise. Yeah, you're getting a better tasting product. Exactly, yes. Tell us more about some of your white wines. Yeah, the reds or whites? The whites. Whites, yeah. So we've got a few other. We, we do quite a uh, quite a selection, um, but we have one that's called the White Rabbit, which is a really fun blend. I saw that on, on your Facebook page. Yeah, uh, the White yeah. Rabbit, perfect. Yeah, so the thing for us, uh, we have two wines. One's a white, one's a red. We have the White Rabbit and the Looking Glass, and they're kind of like a, a nice little collection there, and they're Alice in Wonderland themed. And the idea was you're you're going down the rabbit hole, and you're finding something new and exciting. And so that's what we want with this wine in particular is join us on this journey and go down the rabbit hole of what white wine can be. It doesn't have to be sweet. It doesn't have to be super acidic. It can have texture and dynamic and balance but it can be also multiple varietals it's it's so it's something to make you think but also everyone's gonna love this wine there's there's not uh it's not too aggressive in any way uh it's just really beautiful well balanced and approachable that's the big thing for us is that we want to have dynamic to our products but we also want them to be welcoming to others so that they can see wine and not feel intimidated by it and and have an understanding of it because that's a big part of the wine industry is not really uh, knowing what what's what there's so much there's so yeah. much verbiage I can throw around and sure. someone's like I don't know what that means so with white rabbit it's follow us into this journey and then we'll talk about it and we'll we'll get through it together and we'll have a lot of fun yeah yeah talk to us about when you crack a bottle of wine open um, and letting it breathe your yeah. view on this and decantering and, and things of such yeah definitely so uh wine is a it's a living product uh the way we treat wine especially we it's a living product uh from the moment you open it to 10 minutes later to an hour to a day later it's going to taste different because oxygen's hitting it um and that's just allowing it to breathe and open up a little bit more so with decantering wine um, you can take an experiment if you don't have a decanter if you leave a bottle of wine open um, it's the same thing if you go one day is like one hour in a, okay. in a decanter so if you go by that rule you can stretch out a bottle of wine for a few days in a sense um, just as you would if you were to decanter it for an hour or two you'd see that same effect but it does allow 
a bottle or a wine to open up a little bit more, become a bit more expressive. Um, some wines are a bit tight. They go through what we call bottle shock when you package it. Um, so when you put a wine in a bottle, for a couple months after that, exactly, it tightens up. It's like, whoo! I just went through this weird process, and I need, a, I need a minute. Give me a hot second. Yeah. So when you open that bottle, decantering it, great. Some wines don't need that because some of them are just they're cheerful, they're light, they're easygoing. Um, but some wines, especially amongst the reds, do need that because they they've got so much going on. You want to give it that time it deserves. Um, it's kind of like you take a wine, you let it age, and you do its and do its thing for years in a barrel. Yeah. and then you pack it into a bottle so putting it into a decanter allows it to just kind of open up and breathe again yeah show and, off it's... and speaking of decanters i mean there's so many cool looking decanters now and expensive ones mm -hmm. i've got a couple that i've you know received as a gift and i don't really use them that often but um is there anything that we need to know educational wise about the type of decanter that we should be using like do you guys sell some decanters at your store we don't sell any decanters but a really good one to aim for you want to have a wide base like a very round right. base um and then you want it to have a lip that opens up just like a vase you really right. it's a simplistic design is is great uh there are different styles that you can get but one of just the most classic is if you think of a traditional vase style where it's it's bulky at the bottom and then has a nice slim neck and then opens up just like a flower. It matters. It yeah. matters, right? This isn't bullshit. This is true. Yeah, it honestly, like, it makes a difference. I'm just rolling around over here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Um, but no, stay it's... Stay still. Stay. Right. Kelsey, stay. We trained your dog. We're back in dog training. Yeah, we trained your dog. <laughs> we trained you to train the dog. Yes. But, um, so what about, uh, wine glasses? I mean, there's, there's different information out there. Certainly, yeah. So talk about the, the wine glasses and, and the best type of glasses to enjoy, uh, wine. And is it all dependent on the type of wine we're drinking? Yeah, so you can most certainly get standardized wine glasses that'll do well for any white or any red. Um, but to showcase certain varietals, you do have different types of glasses. Uh, so for a Riesling or a Sauvignon Blanc, for instance, you're going to want to get um, a more straight edge glass. It just it's so it's going to kind of also be a similar design to that uh, decanter, right. where it has a like a. a wider base to it okay. um and then it peaks up so it's going to go straight almost think of a tulip all right so it it's it, um i'm there yeah so it just has like a nice straight edging to it right <laughs> um and that's an erect, gonna an erect tulip yes an erect tulip picture. that's a perfect way to describe yes. it um whereas if a you're vertical. drinking a pinot you've got these tannins in there that you want to soften out so you get more of a bowl like uh glass and then that allows you to swirl it around and this isn't a mental thing this is true this is true yeah the I glass I where... skeptical but i'm learning what wine 101 from you i don't mean to be skeptical <laughs> no no you don't sound skeptical but i think there's a lot of there's a lot of hoo-hoo around things and there's a yeah. lot of things that are just thrown around and and said and you know what do we believe what's actually necessary at the end of the day drink wine drink beer the way you want to the way you enjoy it but if you want to get fancy then yeah you can get some proper glassware for sure um i mean there's care and love that's put into the wine when it's being uh, farmed and when it's being made Treat so it's kind of like yeah i mean it. you can yeah but i mean if you want to drink it out of a juice glass drink it out of a juice glass just you know right right no, I do it do your thing us on this stuff. yeah it really matters <laughs>
Um, what about the temperature of, of a white wine? I mean, people have their wine fridges yeah. in their homes, right? I mean, we have one Perfect. where we have our pool table. So what, what, what's the ideal temperature to keep white wine at or champagne or something sparkly in the, in the white department? Yeah, so 14 degrees is a really great place to be for white wine. You don't want it to be refrigerator cold, like okay. your common, because that's just a touch too cold. And that's, is that changing the whole dynamic and the chemistry of it? Or? Yeah, so um, when a dish is, or when I want a dish, when a wine is too cold, it zaps the flavor profile. Okay. So it's just kind of like, imagine if you're outside in, on a day like today, yeah. um, and it's freezing cold out. Can you really feel your face? Can you really feel or, or taste? the coffee that you're drinking like the cold affects how you experience something right. um so it's the same thing with the wine if it's too cold it just it's gonna zap that flavor uh and it's gonna be it's gonna lose that dynamic to it whereas if it's just a nice balance uh, a cooler temperature we'll call it versus a cold temperature then you do get to experience all the different layers and, and textures of the wine and flavor profiles as well it's important because some mm -hmm. people just take wine and they just uh you know, have it almost freezing, right? Yes. Yeah, and that's not how wine's meant to be drank. I mean, when you think about back in the day, there was no refrigeration system. It was no. just kind of kept at a, at a room temp, slightly colder in a cellar, so just down below. Um, but yeah, I would say a cooler temperature, 14 degrees, is a really nice sweet spot to be. Uh, not too cold, not too warm. Yeah, it's like excellent. the Goldilocks. Yeah, and so what about the alcohol content in your white wines? Yeah, so alcohol content's going to vary from varietal to varietal, but the nice sweet spot, again, for a white wine is to be anywhere between 11 and 13%. Okay. Yeah. Um, that's the typical. 11 to 12 is usually the average there, but some do get as high as 13 in a white. So yeah. uh, refrigeration on the rosés. Of course, people do refrigerate their rosé wine. Treat it just like a white wine. And I've had people serve me like... A red Merlot, for instance, that mm -hmm. was chilled in their fridge. Yeah. Like, is this a big no-no? Uh, I mean, um, I, I guess it's personal preference. I was always taught you, you don't refrigerate red wine, whether it's Italian wine or whether it's, you know, uh, you know, uh, yellowtail uh, from Australia. Like, you don't put that in the fridge. It's 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 a wrong thing to do. So tell us tell us technically why it's bad to refrigerate uh, red wine. A uh, similar concept to to the whites, yeah. um, especially for deeper reds. Like I wouldn't I wouldn't chill a Merlot, no. but uh, a Pinot or a Gamay you could most certainly chill. Uh, we have a few wines at the winery that uh, we do serve chilled, and that's because they're they're lighter wines, they're light presses, they're not something that has been uh, aged for long periods of time. They're something that's just meant to be enjoyed fresh, light, juicy. So yeah, you can get your Pinots, so your Gamays, your Blaus. Yeah. And there's nothing wrong. Like if you think about it, if you have a Sangria, for instance, that's going to be chilled. Um, so there's, there's nothing wrong with chilling a red wine, but you do want to be careful what you're doing. Cause if you were to chill, let's say a Bordeaux or just a single varietal Merlot, yeah. that's got some heavy tannin and structure to it. And that chill factor is going to really mess with yeah, yeah. the experience. I enjoy when I have red wine, I enjoy it to be a room temperature. Yes, room temp is ideal. I think room temp is always a safe bet. Even if it is a wine that you could chill, room temp is a safe bet. But sometimes you do find, especially within the natural wine world, some funkier things that come out um, when you do chill a wine, which is a lot of fun. But not necessary. Um, but it does, you know, it can change things up a little bit. But it's got to be the right one. When we store our wine, when we have a wine rack, is there a, is there a preference of style of 
wine rack and I'm talking about angulation of the rack. Are all wine racks okay? Um, opinion or should it be have a certain uh, degree of tilt on it? There's a uh, no specific degree of <laughs> tilt that I uh, am keen on or oh yeah that i lean towards um i mean you do want to store your wine when storing it you do want to store it on its side and what that's going to do is just to help uh to keep moisture on the cork you don't want the cork to dry out because let's say you take the time to age your wine for five years in your cellar if you can let it last that long and uh, you have it upright that cork's going to dry out so when you try to take it out it's going to crumble uh, potentially so when you lay a wine on its side that wine's going to hit the cork and it's going to keep it moist um, you also want to keep it in darker cooler climates um, so basements are always great you never want to put it over a vent or by a window you just want it out of direct sunlight because that's gonna affect the wine over long periods of time um, and you want to have it where it's the temperature is fairly consistent versus fluctuating yeah. And the trick is, don't keep it too long. Drink it. Enjoy yourself. <laughs> yes, yeah. I mean, I always say, buy two of whatever you like. One to drink now and one to drink later. Yeah, one to drink now, one to drink tomorrow. Exactly. <laughs> um, are there some more wines you want to tell us about? Um, yeah, so, I mean... We talked about our white wines. Yeah. Um, we do have a really great red program as well. We focus in on a lot of the Bordeaux varietals. So you're, um, oh, I love it. yes. I knew we would revisit this. <laughs> you did mention that Bordeaux. earlier. So that's your Cab Sauve, your Cab Franc. We unfortunately don't grow Merlot. We lost ours in 2014 due to weather. Um, but we do get Merlot from one of our neighbors, no. and we put that into the blend sometimes. Um, but we also play around with Blau, Blau Frankish, which is a fun one, also known as Lemon. Burger, um, and then Pinot Noir, Burgundy, oh. uh, Red. So we we do play around with a lot of different ones. Gamay is a very uh, very oh Gamay is so good. So Gamay is, is one of those it ones. Taste like a Bordeaux or not exactly? Not exactly. So um, Gamay is a fun one where you can serve it chilled or you can have it at room temp. It's typically light to medium body. It has a funky tone to it. It can doesn't have to, but it can. Um, but yeah, lots of like juicy berry notes a little bit of a barnyard funk which it's okay. it's a fun dynamic to add uh but gamay is a really hearty grape it does well in our climate as does cab franc um so those are two varietals that we really hone in on and we we like to play around with quite a bit excellent mm -hmm. i gotta get me some of that Right, yeah. Um, the other thing that we do that I think that's really fun that we briefly talked about uh, is mead. So yes, yes. mead, mead, yes. not meat. Mead, <laughs> M-E-A-D, mead. Yeah. So um, our owners, Eugenia Renata, they um, they are Ukrainian, and they Eugene specifically. Uh, his father had uh, he had a beekeeping practice, and and so that he passed that on to Eugene, and and so together Eugene and Will um, are beekeepers. We are a certified apiary, so we house just over three hundred beehives, uh, and we harvest all of our own honey, and we make mead with that. So that. it's a really fun and different product. Um, it's one of the oldest alcoholic beverages around there. Wine is estimated to have a a history of about 9,000 years, whereas mead is closer to 10 or 11,000 years. So it, it is the oldest alcoholic beverage around. Um, and it's really cool when you think back to it, this is what the Vikings had and it was in medieval times and it That's was just, wild. you know, it's a really cool um, beverage. Um, and really in its essence, it's just water and honey. Uh, you can add different liquids to it. So you could do a sizer style, which is honey and apple juice. So we make one of these, uh, we call it legacy because it's actually... Uh, 
uh, Eugene's father's recipe, so passed down over generations. Um, and this is going to be a little bit on the sweeter side, but we take apple juice from fresh, uh, fresh pressed apples from our local orchards, nice. um, and we ferment that with our honey. So it's just, it's a really beautiful oh, product. So yeah, right? Showcasing everything that Niagara has. The yeah. honey, the apples, just, you get all these cool, really floral elements coming through as well. Um, and it's a sweeter product, so we don't make ice wine. Um, we There's do... enough people who do Exactly. That. There's enough wineries. Exactly. I mean, you know, we, we know where to go for ice wine. Yeah, and this sits around 46 grams of residual sugar, um, which is actually half of what a, a dry ice wine would be. They typically sit around 90 to 100 grams, okay. um, but go all the way up to like 200 if you really want one of the... Oh my God, that yes. curl your hair. Right? <laughs> um, so this is really fine. You can drink it on its own. It's great with cheese. Honestly, I mean, yeah. if you can just pair cheese with anything, what's bad about it oh, so so it. so good um but you can also mix it into cocktails so if you wanted to get fun and funky like add it into a cocktail make a manhattan with it or an old-fashioned see oh. how you go yeah so lots of different opportunities with mead uh to either blend it or drink it on its own but to it's... merge it with the apples like you were saying mm -hmm. right that's that's really cool it's really really fun yeah we have a lot of fun with it uh and yeah it's we started doing expert like a a fortified mead actually recently so a few years ago we accidentally burnt a barrel of honey and we didn't know what to do with it so we just left it outside and then it became winter it froze and then it thawed again in the spring and it actually when it thawed there was a liquid in there there was water in there uh, and it started to ferment and so we had this weird fermenting honey that we didn't know what to do with so then we ended up just putting it into a bourbon barrel and this created Old Smoky. So it was just a series of happy accidents that we didn't really know what to do. We just kept saying, okay, we're going to move it here. I guess we'll move it here now. And at the end of it, it created this really dynamic, lots of caramel, lots of smokiness. Um, and it was, it's 19%. So it's a fortified mead, um, and Sounds it has these delicious. right bourbon elements. Pour that on some ice cream. Oh You're good God. to go, right? Yes. <laughs> yes, I'm there. Oh. Yeah, it's a great time. So mead is really, it's really dynamic and really diverse, and it's something that we have a lot of fun with and, and a lot of uh, connection to as well just because bees are a huge part of us. Now, I'm the kind of guy I do enjoy a little bit of spice. I like my cayenne pepper. I like mm -hmm. my jalapeno peppers. You have a hot honey. Yes. You tell tell us about this new product that you've released, the the hot honey. Yeah. So uh, we love playing around with heat uh, at the winery, just when we cook for one another. Um, and William and Wesley, our chef, uh, they had been talking about making a hot honey for the longest time. So we made a few batches in the summer. They weren't quite what we wanted. And then Wesley had this great idea to ferment uh, scotch bonnets. So oh. he lacto-fermented scotch bonnets, just like you would kimchi or sauerkraut, yeah. um, strained that, and then started making different blendings uh, with our wildflower honey. And that's what we came to. So it's this really cool, it's very hot. I will say it has a good level of spice. I shouldn't say very hot, but it's it's got a nice so level of heat. So if you were at a Thai restaurant, you know how they say, how would you, like when they have numbers? Yeah. <laughs> is it like a number three on the heat or a number four on the heat? I would say like it's a two and a half, three. Okay. Um, because it builds. So that's yeah. the thing. Like you can use a little bit. It's so climbing, right? Exactly. As, you, you know, as it's sitting. Yeah. On, on We've got to remember that it is a whole like giant 10 liter container of um scotch bonnets that we've got in there so there's there's a lot of heat here um but there's also like a creaminess to it and there's this like it just the heat 
also is cut by the flavor too. Like you do get flavor out of it, which is great. It's got this really nice dynamic of sweet, spicy, savory, and like it's just it's I beautiful. I would drizzle it on my pizza, dude. It's so good. I would drizzle yeah. this exciting <laughs> hot honey. Uh, on my pancakes and my homemade waffles. Oh my god, yeah, chicken and waffles with that on it? Unreal. Delish. It's so good. Yeah, I mean, pizza's a really great one for it. Um, I did it with uh, sweet potato and blue cheese. Uh, That was dope. Um, You know, if you want to, if you don't, you've got kids who don't like Brussels sprouts, just spread some of that on there. Amps it up. It's great. But yeah, there's it's endless opportunities. I mean, just eat it by the spoonful. I don't know if you'd want to do too many spoonfuls of that, because um, you know. And you could put a little bit in your tea. Yeah, <laughs> if you really want to. a warm day. Hot toddy. There you go. Yep. <laughs> <clears throat> Excuse me. Yeah, for sure. Um, very very delicious. And so, um, what size bottle and what does that sell for? Yeah. So that is. I hot think honey. We're talking here. hot honey. Yeah, so it's this. Oh my god, what size? It's three hundred and sixty grams. Yeah, you can take that. Rosewood hot honey, three hundred and sixty grams, and 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 it's available. Yeah, it's sixteen dollars a bottle. Yeah, fermented scotch pot. Mm -hmm. It's going to be beautiful, though, isn't it? Yeah. So many things you can put it on. Right? No, no, that's for you. Oh, thank you. Yeah, I feel free to just drizzle it and chug it. You're good to go. Oh, this is awesome. (laughs) This, thank you so much. I appreciate it. Uh, I'm certainly going to get involved with this. You can put a little bit on the toast. Right, yeah. The possibilities are unlimited. Unlimited. I'm a huge honey fan. Oh, good. The fact that this is a spicy honey, I think is terrific yeah it's it's obviously we're really really proud of it um and to morph it with some kind of cocktails to morph it into some different cocktails that so, could also like be a spicy cocktail as well yeah you, you could make a killer margarita with that oh it would be amazing yeah <laughs> yeah and you've got some other preserves that you have as well at the winery yeah so we i mean we we do make our own honey so we take that from the the bees um we of course leave leave uh, honey for the bees to consume and, and eat um but we we do our wildflower honey and we call it such because our our bees are spread out across the beamsville bench um so they're get, they're collecting pollen from all different flowers um so we've got our standard wildflower honey we also do a smoked honey which is amazing if you like a little bit of smokiness yes and like if you're a peanut butter I toast meat in my smoker oh so good yeah well, like this on like salmon or chicken is really really good uh if you want to spruce up your peanut butter toast and add some smoked honey on it in black coffee it's really good that's a personal favorite of mine yeah i wouldn't even have thought of that oh it's so so good yeah uh we also do a nutty honey a nutty honey yeah absolutely amazing um put that on brie just melt it on a wheel yeah, of because brie. because you could put this on brie, too. Oh, the hot yeah. The hot honey, the rosewood hot honey as well. Definitely. But the nutty honey on brie, yes. Unreal. Because Deb is always, my wife Deb's always making brie in the oven and a cast iron pan, and she'll mm-hmm. have some garlic, and she'll have, you know, whatever she can put around it. Yeah, it's that's great. level up. Yeah, got to get that nutty honey on there. Um, It's also really good. Ice cream, yogurt, by the spoonful. There's no rules. Just eat it. It's great. Enjoy it. <laughs> 
Um, but yeah, we do those. And then we also actually have a sangria peach jam that we make, which Come is on. really fun. Yeah. So we made sangria the last couple of years and we wanted to make sure that we were utilizing everything that we had in there. Um, so we steep it with peaches and then we didn't want to pitch the peaches. So we sent them down to provisions just down the road from us uh, and they made us a sangria peach jam and it is phenomenal. It's just so good. It kind of has like that wine smell and taste yeah. to it. Um, and it's, it's red in color because the peaches have soaked up all that uh, goodness but it's a really cool different jam but the jam. sangria uh, peach uh, jam you know on your brie cheese as well would be super killer put that in the oven for a bit and serve it with some uh, some uh, toasted uh, pita bread or, oh definitely or some of your favorite crackers with it yeah 100% I'm a big um, like aged cheddar and um and like jam like that's a solid combination so yeah there's no there's no going wrong i mean all this stuff is delicious and somewhat nutritious (laughs) (laughs) it's all good for you in moderation right exactly (laughs) yeah what about events if you got some events coming up or did you want to talk about your memberships um, well, yeah, we've got a little bit of both. So event-wise, we have right now Love the Bench. Um, Love the Bench is a collaborative effort uh, from the seven wineries on our street. So ourselves, Angels Gate, 30 Bench, Hidden Bench, um, Fielding Estates, and Organized Crime. Uh, together, we're doing what we call Love the Bench, where we're getting people out uh, to the area during these slower months. And we're all offering different experiences. So that starts this weekend and goes uh, this weekend, the following weekend, and then up until Monday, the Family Day Monday, um, so 18th to 20th. Um, And so what we're doing is that collaboration with Fat Rabbit. Um, We've got Fielding doing a collab with Tide and Vine. They're going to be serving oysters and seafood chowder. Tide and Vine in Niagara Falls is where we go. and we So good, right? No, no, it's great. Not at all. We're very spontaneous in these podcasts. Yeah. Quite discovered. You're, you're spontaneous. But <laughs> uh, the Titan Vine, they have a killer, killer clam chowder soup. Yes. You knew that, right? Like yeah. They're famous for their clam so chowder they'll soup. Be, they'll be offering that with fielding. Uh, oh. So it's going to be phenomenal. And then a uh, tradition of Hidden Bench is raclette. So they're going to be having raclette. So that cheese just slides right off and it's delectable. Uh-huh. Um, so it's going to be a really fun few weekends. So we've got that coming up. Um, and then we don't have, we've got uh, a couple different like things that are still in motion, um, are in planning stages, but yeah, lots more to come this year. Um, and yeah, I mean, there's, there's always something to do on the bench and it's always a really good time. Uh, we've got uh, our wine club as well, which is a really cool process or uh, package and program that we offer. Um, so you can do three bottles or six bottles. What we do is we send you a curation of three different products. If you do the six bottle, we just double those. So it's, yeah. you know, one to have now, one to have for sure tomorrow. Smarter thing to do. <laughs> yeah. um, and so it just allows you to kind of get a little bit more of an intimate experience with Rosewood. There's some exclusive offers, exclusive access to our products, first access, uh, reservations. We don't offer that to to anyone outside of our wine club uh program um and it's just yeah it's just a it's a really fun time uh, and you get to see what we're doing and we we try to do some more wine club events uh as well that are just private to those those uh patrons please give your website yeah, so it's rosewoodwine.com. Uh, we're on Instagram as well, at Rosewood Wine. Uh, Twitter and Facebook, all under the same handle, at Rosewood Wine. Yeah, and uh, you are an asset to the Rosewood Estates Winery as the hospitality manager 
and I'm sure they appreciate you so much because you are very passionate about what you do, very knowledgeable, <laughs> and so easy to get along with. So happy and friendly. <laughs> well, I think I really appreciate that. Um, they've been amazing to work for and have taught me so much. So it's a, it's a really great community that we have at the winery. Um, and I'm very, very lucky. And yeah, we all have a good time. It's, and it's I hope to see you one day in the future with another dog or the same dog back at the Dave McMahon Dog Academy. Who knows? I mean, who knows what the future holds? It could be, it could happen. <laughs> Kelsey, thank you for joining me on Dave McMahon Unleashed. It's been a hoot. I've enjoyed shooting the shit with you, learning about wine and mead, and thank you for the gift. Love it so much. You're very welcome. Thanks for having me. You take care. Have yourself a doggone good day, Kelsey. <laughs> you too. Ciao.